Welcome to Fable and the Verbivore. I'm Fable, Beth Stedman. And I'm the Verbivore, Laura Johnson. And this is a podcast for writers who read, readers who write, and, and everyone, everyone who, who loves, loves words. So this week, we are continuing our conversation about neurodivergence. So if you missed last week's conversation, go back and listen to that. Um, I would encourage you to go back and listen to that. We share some of our own personal stories with that. And this week, we're kind of continuing that with talking about labels and kind of the benefit. I mean, we touched on this a little bit last week, but kind of the benefit of calling things what they are. Um, I think as writers, we know the benefit of genre, right? Like we know the benefit of knowing what a book is and what to expect from it and the um genre standards that we'll get when we open a certain book um and we know that because it's name it's labeled it's given a name and i think there's a lot of power in that not just for books but for us as individuals and i I know like so part of my story (laughs) is um seeing a psychologist who i kind of kept pressing for diagnosis and who kept telling me like, well, what does it matter? I don't care what what you're called or if you're autistic. I just want to know, tell me what you love. Like, you know, and I see her point, like I can see her point, but it was very frustrating. Um, because I think there is a lot of freedom in knowing in having a name for something and having a language for something. It, it opens up not only, not only does it give you some confidence, I think, to talk about things, but it also connects you with a community. Like, you know, when a book is labeled a romance, then you have this whole community of romances around yes. there, right? And the same, I think, is true with neurodivergence. Like when you have that um, that language, then you can connect with other people who use that language. And there's even a shorthand kind of that you can understand with each other um, when you say things like "I'm struggling with selective mutism right now," or "I'm having some sensory overwhelm. I can't handle that." Or you know, like yes. people understand what that means. And I think before I started digging into this. I didn't have a language for those things. And so I would know my nervous system's freaking out. Something's wrong. I don't feel right in my body. Um, but I wouldn't have the ability yes. to say like, oh, it's because the music's too loud and this is happening. And okay, I'm right. in sensory overwhelm. I need some help with this. Um, because I just didn't know, you know, like, I think that's been really, Absolutely. really helpful. Well, and I think it also validates the experience as well. Yes. Like you, yes. you get that it's not just you thinking that it's your experience. Mm-hmm. You get someone who can like see you and possibly more objectively than, than you can see yourself who also yes. agrees. Like, yes. like I, I think, I don't know if that's like, I tend to doubt my own experience Absolutely. in any case. <laughs> I'm not sure. All the time. I need an authority figure to tell me. Brian has to constantly remind me authority figures are just people like they don't really know all that much more than you and honestly most psychologists don't know all that much about women on the spectrum it's yeah lastly you know there's a lot of stereotypes and things that go into that but that's a whole other topic absolutely but 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 in my head they they know so much more and I have to listen to them I've I've had the same problem with like medical doctors, doctors as well. Absolutely. Like, Brian always told me they work for you. They work for you. And I'm like, but they're a doctor. They're telling me I have to do this. I have to do it. <laughs> I'm laughing so much because that is exactly me as well. <laughs> it's like I internalize that I would be told that 
journey that this is what I need to do. And it, it, mm-hmm. and sometimes I find myself even like looking for the adults in the situation. Yes. I'm like, oh yes. crap, I'm the adults. Like <laughs> I'm, the, yes. I'm the one who's supposed to have the answers. Um. But I I think like with that having that someone seeing and validating that it's not just you, it's not just inside of you and what you think is your, you know, experience that they see it and they can kind of say, yeah, yeah, I I see that there there's, Mm -hmm. even though it's not something that I am like, I must have that. Like it's something I do seek as well. Like I, I, I seek that kind of confirmation of, this is how I am, you know, as I read this, it resonated, it, it felt right and authentic yes. and it like, it fit my story. And, and it kind of is in my nature to be like, do you agree? Like, <laughs> <laughs> I, I still get that. I feel like I seek validation in every part of my life. Like yeah. it's yes. why I share my writing like early, like I'm not motivated to write if I don't share my writing. And I think some of that is because I want validation for it. If it just sits in my drawer, I don't have any validation. I want someone to, like, I, it's that thing. Like, do you see this yes. too? Do you yes. Yeah. And I, I think that it's really valid to see that and acknowledge that, yeah. you know, it's sometimes we can't get what it is we we want. Like sometimes it's not always we can't a healthy, get that. healthy yeah. habit or a healthy um coping mechanism but yeah but I don't think it's wrong to seek it like I don't think it's wrong to to try to even from a sounding board standpoint I love like seeking sounding boards in other aspects yeah so I can't make a decision without talking it through something yeah and and that might be even part of the processing right (laughs) yeah absolutely (laughs) But, but I totally get that too like the processing it outside like because for me, like processing it, processing it inside can can be a whole hodgepodge of chaos. So yes. sometimes it's how I make sense and organize things and maybe even get around some of the executive function stuff that freezes up and yes. uh, that, that overwhelms and that because totally. when I can start getting it out in some mechanism, either by writing or even sometimes by verbalizing, mm-hmm. like it all of a sudden brings some structure to yes the unstructured <laughs> yes yes that is so true i definitely relate to that like the internal realm is so confusing <laughs> unstructured and so it does help make give some structure to it and even just having that like having someone else sometimes mirror back to me like helps me to realize like oh wait that's not what i was trying to say or or yeah okay that's yes. it and yeah, I think that's really true. I think it's, you're right too, that it has its pros and cons and that like, there is some benefit sometimes mm-hmm. to that seeking validation and you, you do get sounding boards, you get good input, sometimes good structural, like ability to put into words things that you couldn't because of wh- how someone mirrors things back to you. Yes. But I think so much of my life, I've also let sometimes that validation or lack of validation determine the my self-worth. And that's when it gets messy mm-hmm. or negative, you know? <laughs> like, yeah. Um, well, and I don't know about you, but maybe even not allow yourself the understanding or the yes. use of a label yes. until you have that stamp of approval. Yes. And and I, I'm not sure that anything, even even though 
I definitely appreciate and feel like that that need for someone to stamp of approval it because for me I feel that too that almost I'm like I'm running around like willy-nilly and no one has (laughs) given me the authorization to use this label yeah but but then we lose out on that time that we could be well and no one knows your experience Mm -hmm. as well as you do so I mean I think there's a lot like yeah I I think I've been so back and forth on like official diagnoses and labels and not. And I think something that I've really learned from connecting with a lot of people in the autistic community is how many, like nobody takes this kind of diagnosis lightly and nobody who pursues it does it haphazardly. Like these are not people who are just being like, oh, I'm a little OCD. You know, like these are people who have dug into the research and read every book they can get their hands on. I'm raising my hand right now. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you, know, like, like, you know, I told you I have a five-page yep. list of indicators. I've taken every like really? online test I could take. I've yes. read every book yeah. I can get my hands on, every research paper I can get my hands on. Like, I'm not going into this just being like, oh yeah, I read yeah. some article and I think I'm autistic. You know, like yes. Um, but there's still something something to be said for having that like official voice and I'm not sure why like if it is actually valid or if it's just that like need for an authority figure thing I don't know (laughs) and I I haven't been officially diagnosed but I in going through again the research for my son and then the research for myself I I do feel confident in saying that but I feel awkward in saying yes. it as well because I don't have like the piece of paper that confirms that, <laughs> that someone else agrees and, and it almost like it almost like I feel like I have a little chip on my shoulder about it like yeah. that and I may I may seek that to kind of yeah. put to rest whatever that subconscious thing is yeah. that <laughs> like sits there it is, it is interesting that I think in some ways we are socialized to be like, you don't have it until someone <laughs> says yeah. that you have it. I mean, that's so what like, school teaches us. That's what, yeah, yep. all of society teaches us. Yeah. Well, and part of the issue too, though, is like, it's expensive to get an it official is. diagnosis. Yes. Like, it's expensive to have someone tell you like yes. that. Like, I mean, we spent thousands of dollars to get my son's diagnosis, you know, like, yes. and that's a lot. I can't really. Absolutely. Right um, and the fact of the matter is even specialists like that, they can't specialize in everything, you know, like a psychologist yes. or a psych- psychiatrist, like either one, they have their, their specialties and not all of them are going to know mm-hmm. what it's like to be a woman on the spectrum, especially. Yes. Um, so it is and, an interesting debacle. <laughs> yeah. And when the tools and the assessments that they use, don't reflect that experience yes. either. Yes. Oh my gosh. Some of the that questions when too. you look at them, they're so geared yeah. towards, towards the male experience. And it's like, ah. yeah. <laughs> and so, so much of having, having taken like psychology classes and then also being like, having been in the counseling career for a short yeah. period of time where I almost got my, my um, license to to practice you realize how much of that Mm -hmm. is based on things that were created Mm -hmm. a long time ago haven't been revisited yeah 
even when they update the diagnosis, there's so many things that kind of just hang around <laughs> in the yes, practicing they're of just it. in the public psyche. Yeah. Yes. Totally. And then when you look at people who have their education was 10 years ago, 20 years ago, 30 years ago, you start then really realizing how much if something was kind of kicking around mm-hmm. 30 years ago when they went through the education system, yeah. it's possible that they're still going off of some of those old, you know, latent things that you just kind of don't get rid of from a legacy perspective. And I, so I guess for me, like, I also look at psychology and some of that, you know, you know, psychiatry as they, there can be a lot of things that I think make the objective Mm. diagnosis really difficult um, in the best of circumstances and, and really uneven and really um, biased, biased, absolutely based on who you're going to see and even what generation they are Mm -hmm. like, and what vocabulary they have to even talk about these things. Um, We talked, I I like to bring up dyspraxia since it's something that, that. Again, I, I didn't know I didn't know about myself. I hadn't heard the word until several years ago. And dyspraxia was originally called every time I hear this, I'm like, oh. Um, it was basically like awkward like child syndrome or like <laughs> clumsy child syndrome. And you're oh, like, gosh. oh, like <laughs> absolutely. Like that was actually the the wording that was used as part of diagnosis. And so as we like look into some of these, what something has been called, like, you know, even Asperger's and how it's shifted away into autism, you know, talking about it, maybe talking about low support needs versus, um, and talking about is it a disorder or is it a difference like there's so many things like that that have been shifting recently thank thank goodness thank thank goodness dyspraxia is no longer called clumsy child syndrome (laughs) and and I think that so many of the stereotypes and things associated with autism the the incorrect stories that were told about even we look at you know the cold mother syndrome like like how how it was defined years ago like how they would explain it mm-hmm. um I, I think it kind of allows me to kind of step back a little bit from the landscape and be like using the word for myself uh-huh. does it help with me make self of my own you know makes sense of my own experience me resonate like do I resonate with this does it feel authentic even if I don't agree to every single thing in those lists because you know with those kind of traits I think there's still like not an agreement over what actually falls and I don't know about you but having things that might have correlational um, or even similarity type of things. Like yeah. I just, the things that make sense of my experience, I keep like, yeah. I know for me, I, I use the words autistic. 
highly sensitive person, mm -hmm. dyspraxic, and mild OCD because there are things that fall within those yeah. that to me make sense yeah. um, with my experience. Would I say that all of those would be diagnosed from a psychologist perspective? I'm, I'm not sure. Like, mm -hmm. I'm not sure if they would, but at least I can make sense of those things within myself from sure. those things. And I, I think that as it is to the positive and helps make sense of your experience, you resonate with it, you can find support and vocabulary and experiences that you can kind of connect and jive with. Like that's where the value I think for, for yeah. me lies within the words and the, um, and even owning, owning that as mm -hmm. part of my tapestry, as part of my life story mm -hmm. um, and my landscape. Yeah. Well, and I think that's why people pursue diagnosis, right? Is so that they can yeah. make sense of themselves and their experience. And I think you're right that that can happen with or without it. Um, when we can do enough self, um, analysis and enough research to be able to take hold of those things for ourselves, we can have the same experience of making sense of our, of our experience in our life. And I, and I think of helping other people make sense of our experience too. Like, yes. um, because I think it's been really powerful for Brian and I, like for him to have a language for understanding me also. Um, and for me to have a language for being able to communicate things to him that I couldn't communicate yes. before, you know, at least not in words. Um, I've made him read a lot of the books that I've read too. <laughs> this, this is my experience right here. And I could never yes. put it into words. <laughs> Yeah, which has been really helpful. And I think it's such a great point too, that this language changes um, and it matters. Like I think how we yes. talk about things matters a lot and the ways that we use the language matters a lot. And, and in the past, some of these labels and things have been negative and they have had negative connotations with them that, that probably did as, as much damage or as good, or maybe more damage than good. But I don't think that that's the case as much anymore. I think that's definitely yes. changed or changing. And, um, and I do, I, I believe in the power of names and maybe there's some, mm -hmm. there's some part of me, I think that really likes the, Okay. This is definitely a spectrum. I think <laughs> I really <laughs> like categorizing things. Like yes. I want nice, neat categories for things. As a kid, I used to like, it used to be really calming for me to organize my mother's pantry and put like, all the baking goods together and all the spices Yay! together. And like, you know, like I just want things categorized. <laughs> I want them grouped. And it's even what yes. I do when I read, you know, like I, I look for the commonalities between books and stories and the structure of stuff. Um, but I think there's something really helpful about having that, like labels and names yes. give us categories for things and they give us, and those categories then give us an understanding and connection with other things. And they help our brains, you know, make connections and, and all of that. So I think they're really powerful, but they can be used for harm too. And I think it's yes. good to acknowledge that also. Absolutely. And and I think sometimes there's a lot of fear associated with them as yes. well. Um, I don't know if you've experienced that, but sometimes having the conversation with even, I think generationally it's hard too, because the stories that you were told growing up and the stories that they were told growing yeah. up about something are so different. So I've I've had those conversations with my parents where I'm you're almost trying to contextualize all of these things and trying to make sense of it. And and <laughs> yeah, <laughs> tell me the story. Oh, I hope my mom doesn't listen to this podcast. <laughs> 
when I first told my mom that I was seeking a diagnosis for autism, her response was, oh, you've always been really smart. <laughs> it's like, oh my gosh, this is so based on that, like rain man kind of stereotype or yes. this like, you know, Sheldon yes. sort of thing of like, and it's not true. It's not based on any kind of actual connection between, yes, you know, I mean, yes, are some people on the spectrum smart in certain areas yes but it's they have spiky profiles you know like really smart yes. in some ways and really not smart in other ways or not yes. not not smart but you know weaknesses and other things <laughs> yes. well it's that nuance like the understanding and yeah. contextualizing the nuance of what it means yeah. when it's when this story has been told so much about what it looks like about yes. it this is how it looks and I think I think that plays the other way too, where someone might be like, "Oh, you're not," because mm-hmm. it doesn't fit within yeah, that. Exactly. Like they think you don't fit within whatever yeah. the stereotype they've internalized of it is. And mm-hmm. and I do think that's hard to get because it's hard to go from that I have an understanding of this, mm-hmm. which is this thing, mm-hmm. to but it also means like but this is actually what it looks like. Like yes. these are the details. Like, yes. Even if that initial like superficial thing is right. So like getting to the meat of something and the nuance of it. Yes, absolutely. And I think that's why I love so much how many fiction books we've been seeing coming out yes. with women on the spectrum. I mean, we've talked about Chloe yes. Lee and Helen Hong before. And I just, I love them so much because, because of this, because I think they give yes. people a broader understanding of, what autism looks like, but also what being a female on the spectrum looks like, um, or having that kind of experience. That's not the typical stereotype. Yes. And I, I love that, especially Helen Hangs and, um, and her characters are so different in the yes. ways they are expressed and and I I have I've only read one of Chloe Lisa's but I'm I'm very I I love even that her two characters in that one they are different in how they like one has anxiety um like how how he thinks from an anxiety perspective is prevalent and the other one is on the spectrum and I loved how they're there are things that are similar and there's things that are yeah. different and it yeah. does a great job of being like, we are unique and individual snowflakes. Yes. Like we, we do each have our own expression of, mm-hmm. of what that looks like and what we even resonate with. I, which I love in reading them. There's certain things that I'm like, Oh, that, that, that's me. And it may not be everything, but that's, what's great about representation and, yes. and having more than just one rep, you know this is the one that is yeah. the representation this is what diverse representation looks like and it, i i think it just underscores the value of how whatever it is the experience of humanity like whatever it is being shown in fiction it's why diverse representation is so important yes absolutely and <laughs> yeah there's so much there were so many moments in those books when I was like, Oh my gosh, this, yes. And it it was, you're right. It's so different. And I love that. I think it was, um, I think it was the bride test. Is that the second book? And that book had something in it that I was like, 
blew my mind because it put something to to words that I hadn't had before. But um, when the character, one of the characters, the character who's autistic goes through this stressful emotional thing and doesn't know how to handle that emotion. And it comes out in this clumsiness like that he can't like mm. those fine motor skills yes. that works. He like breaks the glass and runs into things. And I was like, oh my gosh, this is this is this something that is like I have this experience. And I yes. went and looked it up and I was like, oh yeah, there's tons of people who have this experience. This is totally an autistic thing. When you get that sensory overwhelm, when you get that emotional overwhelm, then your awareness of space and and other yes. things becomes hindered. And like it was, it's been such a big indicator for me now like sometimes I won't notice how um overwhelmed I am or how overstimulated I am until I run into a wall <laughs> or yes, until I yes. raise my hip on the corner of a table yes. or I drop a glass or the other day at work <laughs> I dropped something 15 times in an hour <laughs> like it was oh crazy yeah. and I was like okay <laughs> I need to go yeah. home and take a nap I need to go sit in a quiet room <laughs> like this is not okay. Um, you know, and it, it, it yeah. just gave me this, like, I had no idea that that was connected with spectrum stuff. I had no idea that other people experienced that. And it was so enlightening for me and just so affirming. Yes. Right. Like, it's just so important to have all of that represented and all of the human experience represented in fiction. Uh, and with that physical, I, what I love about that is also shows that circumstances can change how something is actually like how it can deteriorate. <laughs> like yes. you can, as a baseline, when you are at your most mentally healthy and you're like least stressed, yeah. more calm, the, it can look one way. Mm-hmm. And then as, as all of those things add up, it can look a very different way. And I, yeah. I totally related to that. I'm like, yeah. they, they like, as, as like, as things out, yes. <laughs> start, start to well, create that spoon theory, right? Like, yeah. Yeah. It's like, we all have a certain number of spoons and some days just getting out of bed takes a lot of spoons. Yes. Other days, you know, like, yeah, it's so true. <laughs> And and I think, like you said, it is valuable to have that. And like I I hit doorknobs a lot. Like I, yes. I I'm like it's like they jump out at me. I hit my teeth on glasses a lot. Like, <laughs> I smack the glass or like spill the water all over my face. <laughs> well, and sometimes it's like I haven't clocked the difference in within myself yes, and so totally. I think everything is normal and then it's like you you take a drink of water and you miss or like yes. <laughs> and you're like I I got nothing like yes. I, I just uh, but I so think true. like you said like having that introspection of being able to link it to mm-hmm. This is what is happening. This, these are the symptoms I'm seeing coming out and at play. Yeah. Oh, how am I feeling? Like, yes. that, and that linking back into that awareness and what do I need? Like, yes. Especially from the getting energy, taking time out to maybe give yourself the like invitation to, okay, I'm going to let myself go and do something that is a special interest. I'm going to let myself 
nap, like alone. I'm gonna, maybe I was planning to go out to dinner with people, but I, I can't do that. Yeah. Maybe I need to just explain that. I'm sorry, I can't, <laughs> I can't, yeah. I can't do that. I, I think when we have then that self-compassion for, mm-hmm. when we're able to be like, okay, this is happening. And then the self-compassion that says, okay, what do I need? Yes. I, I, it also frees up, I think, ourselves to ask for what we need, <laughs> which which is, I think, that harder thing. Like, yeah, because it's that guilt and shame thing that we talked about last yeah. week, right? Like, no, I can't do that. I committed to this. I need to go to that party or whatever. <laughs> Yeah, I I think sometimes even seeing like other people model that type of behavior where they're like, they give themselves the self-compassion to be like, Mm -hmm. I can't do this today. Mm -hmm. So I'm I'm not going to that, that, that then starts to give me the invitation to, and, and I'm still working on the, like asking for what I need because there's still that block of, yeah, (laughs) of of all the stories. (laughs) Yeah, it's hard. It absolutely is. Okay, here's a question about labels. Yeah. Um, so I am writing a series right now in which all three books will have a character on the spectrum. And in the first book, I haven't labeled her. Um, and kind yeah. of intentionally because I she's very, very modeled personally. <laughs> Yeah, my most yeah. personal character I've ever written. And I wanted, um, I didn't really want her to be aware of a diagnosis. Um, yes. Because she is struggling with some things that she internalizes as her own brokenness. And, but I'm finding as I've sent it to beta readers, uh, I've had a couple people, not, not a lot. Most people have been, have really loved it, but I have had, I think two people, one in particular, who was like, I don't buy that this character would do this. Or like, why would someone do that? Or like, hasn't understood the character. And yeah. I mean, one, she even said like, I don't get why a character who's this like anti-people and socially awkward would even pursue a relationship with this guy. It's a romance book. <laughs> it's like, Wait, so just because someone's socially awkward and like struggles with that, they don't want connection. Like, is that what you're saying? Yeah. <laughs> it's a little bit frustrated with that comment. Um, yes. But I kind of feel like if I had given her a label, people would be more yes. understanding of those kinds of things. Um, so I've been on the fence as I've revised, like whether I should change that or not. And just how much, I don't know, like, I, like I've said, I think labels are really good and they help people uh, understand things. And so I think there's some benefit to that. Um, but I also, yes. I like that this character doesn't know. <laughs> I do too. Can I, can I, so I think there's value in both. I I absolutely do. Um, I, and I think we need both and, and Mm. maybe even other expressions that fall like someplace in between that. Um, why I like it is because I think that there's other people who may not, may not define their experience by that label and may not, and it might be a way for them to kind of get, some like for a light to go on for them Mm. and for or or even to get past if someone has an idea of what you know what a book about someone who's autistic would look like it can even like bring in readers that you that wouldn't normally pick up your book and Mm. I I think you know I I think that there's value in all of the all of that on both sides because I I think 
the more people who pick up books and learn and kind of get experiences with it, yeah. I think the better, like the, the better the world will be. And what point. I would say is if you decide that that's the way you want to go, that mm-hmm. that like resonates with you, with where, where you're at. And even mm-hmm. from my own experience, I wouldn't have necessarily labeled myself in a certain way uh-huh. three years ago, two years yeah. ago. And maybe even putting something in the notes at the back That's of the book. That's what I wondered. Like makes if, sense of it. Yeah. Or I, and I don't like, you even give your reason why. Yeah. Chloe Least does um, that at the beginning of each book. Like she'll kind of talk yeah. about not just trigger warnings, but just some of like, here's what you can expect. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I do like that a lot. So I kind of wondered about doing something like that. And if it feels like authentic to the story that you want to share about not having, because I do think that there are a lot of people who are out there and who, if they actually knew what it was, it would, you know, it would be something that resonates with them and that helps make sense of their story that fits within it. And, and yet they haven't, had that experience yet where it's a connection has been made Mm -hmm. and sometimes having a character that goes through that journey Mm -hmm. can help other people take the journey themselves so I think there's definitely value in it um I I don't know if this is the intention um but Sherry Thomas's Lady Sherlock I I she's she's neurodiverse in some way (laughs) um even I'm not sure if she ever has talked about how that character, you know, mm-hmm. was created. But I think that when I first started reading that character, like there were things that I really connected and jived yeah. with. And I, I think I was on my journey going through figuring things out and lights turning on mm. over time. And I, I do think that stories like that can be helpful in in making sense of maybe not every instance of the person you're experiencing sure. it with um, makes is you know exactly your experience, but even just having seeing them go through that journey can have that value and um, can definitely help with creating that awareness. Mm. Yeah, thank you for that. That's helpful. <laughs> I hope it's useful. It is. It is. It's just helpful to process it out like that, you know, sounding boards like we talked about also. So absolutely. Well, and it's it's funny how like I think sounding boards have been kind of part of the the theme that kind of come has come up over the last several things that we've recorded. And I Mm -hmm. I think understanding that there is value, like it's not that they are end all and be all that you have to like give everything to the sounding board and be like sure. you you control you know like there is that ownership and kind of being able to make decisions ourselves and kind of owning them but there's so much to be gained by sometimes bringing things out and even just saying something outside of ourselves and and even sharing something with someone that you trust to get their feedback or to have a conversation about hashing out what you feel like this means, especially when things are hard. Um, Especially if a label you feel is um, 
potentially like difficult to accept. And I think there's so much value in just like allowing ourselves that space of finding a safe space where we can talk about something where we can feel like we can show up authentically as ourselves and a a bit vulnerable, Mm -hmm. share something and kind of get something back rather than just being in our heads, Um, (laughs) telling ourselves all these things and, and not having any other, any other voice except for what, goes on in that um there there was something in the heart principle where I I think where the lead character was able to to talk about it to Quan I I can't remember her first name right now like I don't know why that yeah um I'm blanking on it too but I yeah yeah, I know what you're talking about but she was able to kind of bring it out and it was in a neutral type of conversation rather than Mm -hmm. one that was very like fraught um and where there was a lot of opinions like she was able to just like bring it out and he was able to ask some like just decent questions and she was able to get to a place that I think if she had just been in her head she wouldn't have been able to get to and there's there's value in that and kind of recognizing that finding those safe spaces where we can kind of work through some of the maybe grief, maybe frustration, maybe, maybe we've been in a place where the label has been used in a negative way. And, and I, I don't know how you feel about the word disorder. Um, As we talk about this, I like the things that say difference um, rather than disorder. Um, Because I do think insane difference, it, it acknowledges this, that it's we're talking about how our brains work yeah and we're talking about that neurotypically this this tends to you know brains tend to look like this or tend to function like this but there's still individuality within those things and for me this is how my brain looks functions that may be different than someone else who yeah has a different landscape um, than me. Um, but as you said, like these are the categories like I tend to fall within and my the way my landscape looks is probably different than someone else's, but I can at least sit within those groups and feel like I'm with people who have an understanding. Yes. Who have like <laughs> a language um, and who understands the way my unique brain functions in some way. Well, and there are a lot of, um, well, maybe not a lot, but there are studies that show that neurodiverse people communicate just fine with other neurodiverse people. (laughs) (laughs) It's only when they're with neurotypical people that that they look strange or that things come off wrong or they're not understood, Um, which I found so fascinating. It's just, I was like, yeah, our brains just work differently. Yeah. So. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> oh yeah. <laughs> I've even heard people say like if you start finding that a lot of your friends are being diagnosed, you should probably look into it yourself because they just we tend to congregate because we understand each other better. And, and I don't I it is <laughs> funny that you say that because I obviously like from a friend community standpoint, I it wasn't purposeful, but yeah. <laughs> We, we do flock together. 
<laughs> we're safe together. It's good. <laughs> well, and um, I think I think seeing like people like Morgan Harper Nichols, um, she's had a lot of yeah. um, posts about unmasking and about kind of showing up authentically and vulnerably. Um, and I even think like in some ways, like from the podcast standpoint, I was thinking about this the other day that even that leap of faith of starting this, yeah. I think there was a lot of fear, um, even if, like fear of like me saying like, personal fear of, of like saying something wrong or like the awkward thing or like all of a sudden bringing a conversation to a standstill and there are like interviews have yeah this added kind of element of anxiety which requires additional preparation and that I kind of get my talking points right and written down in some ways, I think that's actually good because I do think interviews tend to be, can be more when they're well thought out and we've thought through some of our questions deeply when I've interacted with someone's Instagram and seen what they care about. There's a lot of things there that actually bring more meat and depth to the conversation. Yeah. So it's a good thing, but it's kind of also recognizing the, okay, okay, there's a, there's an element of there, there that kind of does come from the fear of, yeah. of bringing that in and like showing up and like all of a sudden something going completely wrong. And I, I think sitting with those weird um, complexities can be really good and valuable because you can see like the both sides of that you know we've talked a lot about um there's kind of there's the balance and that sometimes like we go to one extreme or another and I, I do think that sitting with things aren't usually just one way like sometimes we just have to accept that okay like, like this this is just how it is and yeah. this is a good thing that's managing and this is a thing that that maybe is a little counterproductive and I just have to accept that that's part yeah. of how I function. <laughs> yes, totally. Well, however you function, we hope that you learned yeah. something from this episode or um, maybe connected with it in some way. And then we hope that you keep reading and writing and putting your unique voice out into the world because we do need yes. all of our voices and, yes. um, and all sorts of experiences. So keep sharing your work and we hope you join us next week.